Hinchliffe Stadium at Patterson Great Falls National Historical Park very nearly met the wrecking ball before passionate advocates saved it and the rich history it preserves. Now restored to its original glory, this true field of dreams reopened this spring with the return of professional baseball. And we were there to take it all in. I'm Todd Christopher, and this is The Secret Lives of Parks. In Episode 7 of this podcast, A Diamond in the Rough, we explored the colorful past of Patterson, New Jersey's Hinchliffe Stadium, the only baseball stadium in the national park system and one of the last surviving venues with deep connections to Negro League history. Its most notable figure, the Hall of Famer Larry Doby, was a Patterson native who integrated baseball's American League less than 12 weeks after Jackie Robinson broke the sport's color barrier in 1947. A quarter century ago, Hinchliffe was shuttered after years of neglect. The stadium and its stories might have been lost, if not for the advocates who built the community support and political will to save them. A decade ago, the tide really started to turn. Hinchliffe was designated a National Historic Landmark in 2013 and was added to Patterson Great Falls National Historical Park the following year. An ambitious renovation project was approved in 2019 and broke ground two years later, at what would ultimately be a cost of $103 million. And about eight weeks ago, over a weekend in May, it all came to fruition. City officials christened the newly restored stadium at a Friday morning ribbon-cutting ceremony that included such notable guests as Senator Cory Booker and six-time All-Star Willie Randolph. Then, after a Saturday washout, came a splendid Sunday afternoon in the moment that so many had waited for for so long. Opening day. The New Jersey Jackals, the Frontier League ball club that now calls Hinchliffe home, were set to square off against the Sussex County Miners to kick off their season, bringing professional baseball back to this storied venue for the first time in more than 70 years, and for the first time ever in a national park site and I wasn't about to miss it. I headed to the corner of Patterson and Birch to meet Brian Lopinto, a Patterson native who co-founded the Friends of Hinchliffe Stadium. There's a mini-market there, a sort of bodega with a Bangladeshi flair, but as we talked, Lopinto's eyes turned to the residence located above the shop. Yeah, this is, uh, this, is, this is my old house. This is about two blocks away from Hinchliffe Stadium, one block away from the Great Falls National Historical Park. It wasn't a national park when I grew up here, but uh, in many ways, uh, this is home. And we've got something to see. Yeah, let's go. Let's head to Hinchliffe. Let's get to Hinchliffe. We're going to walk down Birch Street now. So we're just a couple of blocks away from the park. Did you visit it a lot when you were a kid? Oh, absolutely. It was only a block away. You know, so um, if you're referring to the National Park or to the Great Falls, of course. Mm -hmm. The stadium, it, it, you know, here and there, I would maybe kind of sneak in and take a peek like during a football game. Um, but uh, nothing really uh, concrete until I got to high school when I played for Clifton High School. So what are your recollections of the stadium back then? Because you got to witness it 
when it was active and when it started to fall into disrepair. Yeah, so I, you know, I played um, baseball at Hinchliffe Stadium for Clifton High School as a visiting team. And my, my recollections at that time just definitely like this, this very thin AstroTurf, basically on asphalt. It was you know, poorly done, actually. But uh, you know, when you're a kid, you just, you just want to play ball and you don't kind of you know, make an issue of it. You just kind of just work around it. So, um, but you know, it was, it was in fairly good shape, but we you know there was, there was definitely a sinkhole because unfortunately the owners, the Patterson public schools just didn't take care of it. And I'm guessing like most things is that a function of resources? So they claim, um, but there in 1997 when the stadium, uh, was, was deemed, um, I guess condemned, there were two options on the table. Demolish at a cost of $4 million or rehabilitate at a cost of $4.8 million. And the superintendent at that time, his name is Laval Wilson, was leaning toward demolition. And it just, if $4 million is out the door, you'd think just spend the extra $800,000. But thankfully, they did not demolish it. Maybe they didn't have the money to demolish it. And I guess we're grateful for that, but that would have been a real problem. I think uh, it would have met a lot of resistance. I've seen photos and video of the stadium when it was kind of in the depths of, uh, of disrepair. I've even seen photos of like trees taking root inside the stadium. Yep. I mean, is that, is that all what you saw? Absolutely. As, as time would go by, uh, you would start seeing just trees growing uh, in the stands. Nobody took care of it. I mean, a little weed be gone would have done the trick, you know. So, you know, there's that old saying, you, you take care of the little things, the bigger things take care of themselves. And, and nobody took care of the little things. And that's why it became such a big problem. And, and now such a costly price tag. Here, let's cross over here. Okay. Uh, I want to show you this side of the falls. What was the spark? What, what tipped it so that this thing that could have been lost got saved and that started with some folks like you yeah so you know really kind of trying to make that argument first you had to do the research and I decided to do some research the first thing I had done was I uh, when I heard it was gonna be condemned I wrote to the Baseball Hall of Fame in Cooperstown and thankfully they'd written back and they said that Hinchel Stadium was represented in their library's archives um, so then I did my own independent research finding out that the New York Cubans played here and the New York Eagles and lo and behold, over 20 Hall of Famers played at Hinchliffe Stadium, many of whom played in the Negro League. So uh, in essence, there is a piece of Cooperstown right here in Patterson. That's a great way to put it. Folks like Larry Doby, Monty Irvin, and on and on. Correct, absolutely. And I'm glad you mentioned both of those players because both Monty Irvin and Larry Doby tried out for the Negro Leagues here at Hinchliffe Stadium. So I don't know of any other venue in America that can boast two Hall of Famers trying out for the Negro Leagues. And then they would eventually become teammates, uh, they would become friends, and they would actually be opponents in, in the 1954 World Series. So remind me, please, when you founded the Friends of Hinchliffe. It's been more than 20 years, hasn't it? Yeah, so we, uh, we you know, officially formed in 2002, but, you know, we actually kind of started the process in 1997 with that letter to the Baseball Hall of Fame. But, yeah, it's, it's been a while, and, and, and that letter to the Baseball Hall of Fame happened when I was a freshman in college. And uh, as a reporter, Mark Carrig of The Athletic put to me, I've spent my entire adult life trying to save this place, which is kind of, uh, it's either a labor of love or I'm a glutton for punishment. Not mutually exclusive, are they? <laughs> because things take time. And so from, it sounds like almost a decade would have passed before National Historic Landmark status was achieved. Maybe you could tell me about that? Yeah, so National Historic Landmark is, is a great designation for sure. Um, what's great is that 
Hinchliffe Stadium is the first national historic landmark that honors baseball. Do you know what the second one is? I couldn't guess. Wrigley Field in Chicago. Oh. Isn't that something? That's great. I mean, and that happened in 2020. So it, it's, it, that's an interesting story too. Let's just go down this way. Maybe we can go in that way. Sure. Uh, but, uh, but really, um, plaudits, of course, to uh, Congressman Pascrell, uh, because I think he is the elected official that, that has done the most for Hinchliffe Stadium. If it wasn't for uh, Bill Pascrell, I, I don't know if this would be in part of the national park or if we would even have a national park to begin with because he did a lot of work just to get this place to be a national park. Let's go talk to this guy here so we can come in. Sure. Hello. Hi. How are you guys? Hi. Beautiful day for baseball, right? <laughs> oh, I see they got the pitch clock going over there. Very cool. Hey. Hey, 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 how are you? How you doing? This guy right here. This guy, he's got the voice from God. He's got, are you doing the anthem today? No, I'm not doing You got to do it one of these days, right? One of these days, I got you. All right, man. I can't wait Willie to see. Willie just came in. Oh, Willie Randolph? He's coming down the aisle. Oh, cool. Awesome. Yeah, so I, I'm going to go get my, my credential now. Well, there's, yeah, there's Willie Randolph. Maybe you want to interview him. Uh, as a long-suffering Mets fan, you know I do. <laughs> So this unfolds over time, and there have been victories along the way and, and milestones, but this is a big one today. So what does it feel like for you to be here on this day? I mean, it it's, it's, it's really is a, a moment in history because it's not often that a 91-year-old makes history. And today will be the first ever sporting event in a national park, and that's that says a lot. And I think to be able to be here, you know, obviously I wasn't around for all the... Um, the historic moments here, like Elmer McDuffie's no-hitter, or the color championship of the nation, or even Larry Doby or Monty Irvin's tryout, but I'm, I get to be here today, and I'm gonna be here for as many games as possible. If you hear, you hear the crack of the bat. I mean, isn't that a nice sound? There's something so soothing about a wood bat hitting a ball, you know? And, uh, you know, we gotta be careful, of course, because we might get a ball out to us, and if we do, hey, you know? Maybe that's our good luck. Of course, you know, the field is not configured correctly. It should have been configured uh, to the Negro League specifications. And it's worth noting that because this was a municipal stadium that served a lot of purposes, it's it's got an unconventional shape for baseball. It's essentially a coliseum shape. Sure. Well, that's why I, my feeling is that the original, uh, you know, footprint, the original home plate area would have been perfect for baseball because it would have replicated like the polo grounds, you know. The polo grounds is, is, is the Major League Baseball stadium that most resembles Hinchliffe uh, in its true form. There's no other um, stadium in Major League Baseball that has these kind of weird configurations. So, And to, uh, to deal with those odd dimensions, this is a, sort of a temporary fence that's brought in. Exactly, that's a temporary fence. I wish they would have done like vintage advertising, actually. It would have been cool to see something like that, like 1933 you know, Oh, we just missed it. <laughs> and just as Lopinto predicted, a stray fly ball whizzes just past our heads. That came close. I'm actually that came glad very it, close. Glad it? It well, that's why, like, you know, this is not the right configuration. If, the, if it was configured over there, I don't think we would have uh, had that happen, you know? You want to kind of keep walking? Or? Sure. Yeah, and, as we, kind of... and as we walk around the bowl here, from, um, you know, go down the first baseline over toward home plate, in the distance behind us is part of the new redevelopment as well, right? Correct, yeah. So uh, as part of this project, uh, there are three brand new buildings, uh, senior housing, a parking garage, and um, a museum and restaurant space. 
The museum space, which isn't open yet, I believe, is going to be commemorating Negro League history in large part? Yeah, I think it'll, uh, you know, Montclair State's going to do a wonderful job with that. They're the ones who have charge of the museum. Uh, and I believe it's going to be a three-pronged process. So, for example, you know, a, a permanent exhibit to Larry Doby and, and, and with, of course, a mention to Monty Irvin uh, um, on top of that the Negro League's history here at Hinchliffe Stadium, and then on top of that, a rotating kind of exhibit where, remember, auto racing took place here, which had national significance. Um, boxing took place here. Um, you know, musical events. Uh, the Thanksgiving Day Classic, which is really big here in Patterson between Eastside and Central, and then later Eastside and Kennedy. So um, it, I think there's gonna be a lot of different uh, opportunities to, to tell the different uh, facets of Hinchliffe Stadium's story. Um, just wondering, you know, do you, what do you see as the potential challenges? Because Great Falls National Historical Park is fairly small and only has so many resources. And I know they're not responsible for certain aspects of this, but now this is an enormous thing to be added to the park. Oh, yeah, no, it's definitely a, a big thing. I think it really does add, you know, keep in mind there's 300,000 visitors a year come to the Great Falls National Historical Park. So why not capture some of that income? I mean. You know, prior to the stadium opening, people would come by, maybe take a picture of the falls, stay for a little while, and just move on to the next thing. Now, you now have an opportunity to make a full day of it. You know, come to the National Park, visit the falls, go to the Patterson Museum, come to the Charles J. Muth Museum at Hinchliffe Stadium, see a Jackals game. So you really can make a whole day out of coming to the National Park, which I think is really the goal here. At this point, I just want to ask you what I should have asked you. Um, you know, I guess one thing I'll add is that, you know, people often say to me, Brian, you saved Hinchliffe Stadium. And I say, no, I didn't save Hinchliffe Stadium. The great players of the Negro League saved Hinchliffe Stadium. It's their contributions to the ballpark that gives us the reason why we're able to say we should save Hinchliffe Stadium. And, and of all those Hall of Famers, there's one that stands out more, and that's uh, the most, I should say, and that's Larry Doby. Um, without his legacy here, I'm not sure that we saved the place. So I'm hopeful that with Hinchliffe Stadium uh, being back up and running again, that as a society we can go forward and say, Jackie Robinson and Larry Doby integrated baseball, broke the color barrier, whatever phraseology you want to use. But uh, I think for far too long, Larry Doby is a forgotten ball player and, and he deserves a heck of a lot more than that. And, and there's a reason why he's in baseball's Hall of Fame and, and there's a reason why this ballpark uh, is able to be what it is today. I can tell you that what Hinchliffe is today is pretty amazing. Looking up and around from my perch behind home plate, the grandstand of this gleaming white Art Deco Coliseum is decked out for the occasion in red, white, and blue bunting. Friezes sculpted into the stadium walls recall the original bronze reliefs created by Gaetano Federici, the artist known as the Master of Patterson. Above the left center field fence, Garrett Mountain looms in the distance, past the falls. And far beyond the left field foul pole, nearly 15 miles in the distance, the skyline of Manhattan hovers on the horizon. Looking down, a thick carpet of green and brown turf is ready for action. I head down to the field, making friends with the Jackal's mascot on the way, and have a quick word with Andre Sea, the mayor of Patterson. Sayo was elected on his third try in 2018, promising to restore the stadium, and played a role in the Jackals residency that is bringing professional baseball back to Hinchliffe. 
So several years ago, I met with Al Dorso, the owner of the New Jersey Jackals, and I said, look, I'm going to run for mayor again, and this time I believe I'm going to win because I ran two times before and lost. Swing and a miss, swing and a miss, so I was down on my last strike. And I said, and when I restore Hinchcliffe Stadium, which is a priority for me, I want you to relocate the New Jersey Jackals to Patterson. He laughed. Well, this is the Field of Dreams, and as you know, the famous quote in the Field of Dreams is, if you build it, you will come. Well, we built it, and he's coming. He's come here. And I am so encouraged to have a professional baseball team here in the city of Patterson where legends played. 20 Hall of Famers were on that field. You're talking about Larry Doby, Monty Irvin, Cool Papa Bell, Satchel, Leroy Satchel Page. Josh Gibson. Josh Gibson. That's right. That's right. Thank you. So they all played here. We're bringing it back for the legends, and we're bringing it back for the future stars as well. Long time coming. Isn't it amazing? Yes, it is. It certainly is. I can't contain my elation. I'm so encouraged to see the fans, and I'm so encouraged to see the players. Like you said, true field of dreams. It is. It is the real field of dreams. With all due respect to Iowa, that was a movie set. It was a cornfield. Kevin Costner, James Earl Jones, Ray Liotta. Yeah. Don't compare to Josh Gibson, <laughs> Satchel Paige, and Larry Doby, as far as baseball is concerned. Yeah. Feels like we've got extra innings in a way, doesn't it? <laughs> yes, that's true. Right. And with that, his honor and Willie Randolph, who I just miss, are summoned to the mound for the ceremonial first pitch to get things underway. All right, let her in. Mayoral pitch right there. Give a big round of applause to our ceremonial first pitch participant. Now, fans, we're pleased to ask that you please stand as we honor the brave men and women who fight to defend our country with the playing of our national anthem. Whether you love baseball, or the national parks, or even the sound of a jazzy saxophone, that was a special moment. And if you love all three, as I do, it was particularly moving. It was also many long years in the making. And to better understand how all of this came about and what lies ahead, I spoke with someone who could share a little, well, inside baseball. You know, most national parks follow a very long and winding road to actually become a national park because uh, 
because that's a that's a political uh, decision. That's Darren Bach, superintendent of Patterson Great Falls National Historical Park. There was talk even in the seventies uh, to have the Patterson Great Falls become a national park, but you know the 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 stars were not politically yet aligned, and there was other reasons uh, it didn't happen back then. But uh, there was a lot of folks, uh, the congressman, uh, Bill Pascrell, former mayor, current congressman, foremost among them, along with many other advocates over a long period of time who fought really hard to get the designation that that they and I um, think America's first planned industrial city, which is what Patterson is, uh, ought to be a part of the national park system. It would be three more years before Hinchliffe's fate was decided. The effort to add the stadium to Patterson Great Falls culminated in congressional debates over the National Defense Authorization Act, which included provisions for expanding certain parks. On the Senate floor, New Jersey Senator Robert Menendez made an impassioned plea to save Hinchliffe. It has a special place in the hearts of many New Jerseyans, and it's played a vital role in the story of America's fight against institutionalized segregation. Critics of this legislation are using a picture of the stadium showing overgrown shrubs and graffiti on the walls, asking what does a stadium like this have to do uh, and should it be in our national park system? Well, unfortunately, the picture being circulated only shows a side of the story at a different time. What it fails to show is the dedicated work of the surrounding community to clean up Hinchcliffe Stadium. So I bought three photographs today that I think help illustrate the work being done in Patterson and to put to rest this notion that the stadium is an abandoned place the community doesn't care about. The first is a picture of dozens of local residents working together to clean up the stands, paint the walls, and begin the process of restoring this vital community center. The second is a close-up picture of just a handful of these volunteers. These are young people taking the time to improve their community and honor the history that was behind the stadium. And the third shows the final product, much different than what my colleague showed, of their hard work. These pictures were taken earlier this year at an event where 700 volunteers worked to clean up Hinchcliffe Stadium. The argument that we are dumping this land on the National Park Service is just simply false. And as Darren Bach explains, the result was a partnership between the city of Patterson and the National Park Service. So the, the legislation that did add uh, Hinchliffe to the boundaries of the National Park in 2014 had a provision saying the Park Service shall not own or operate the stadium. And, and um, given the size of my staff and resources, uh, operating a 7,500-seat stadium certainly is, uh, is, not, is not top of my list of something to undertake. So uh, I'm happy it's in the park boundary. Uh, I'm also equally happy that uh, the city of Patterson will remain as the owner and operator uh, of the stadium. But our role, you know, I mean, we, we are, yeah, it wouldn't be an exaggeration to say, we're, I mean, we are America's storytellers, you know, so... As far as the stadium, it gives um, it gives the national park an opportunity to really um, cover themes and topics 
that otherwise the industrial history and the natural history of the Patterson Great Falls doesn't really give us. So Hinchliffe opens up a whole another area of, of projects and, and programming and interpretive and educational programming that that wasn't there. Um, and now it is formally because it's in the national park boundary. So we're obviously we're going to partner very closely with the city and others on telling that story. And seemingly everyone here has been touched by that story or has some kind of personal connection to this place. Bach fondly remembers how his uncle Al, as a boy, would ride his bike to Hinchliffe and earn a quarter by serving as a bat boy for Negro League games. And that's the thing about the places we stand up to protect. They have a way of connecting past, present, and future. If you had to have me bet a decade ago, what what would be the bottom of the list on possibilities happening? And, um, you know, I'd have a lot of, a lot of things on, on there, but foremost among them, I, I never thought I would see the stadium reopen, at least not in, in my tenure. So uh, the fact that it's uh, it's opening and operating for the first time since 1997 is uh, it's, it's remarkable. It's uh, and it's a great opportunity. Again, it'll bring a lot of different audiences to the national park. They may not even know they're in the national park when they're taken in a Jackals game or a concert or a, or a high school football game. But they're certainly going to be, you know, there. And um, and the Great Falls is it looms large from the stadium, from the footprint. It's it's in the viewshed. So it's gonna really it's really gonna, you know, it's gonna have some operational challenges as well, uh, having a a stadium of that size operating um in the park boundary. But um but the opportunities far outweigh any of the any of the challenges that that will remain. Back at Hinchliffe, opening day does not disappoint. The crowd settles in, and on the second pitch of the stadium's new chapter, the Miners' leadoff hitter sends a long fly ball over the left center field fence, almost halfway to the falls. But as the song goes, it's root, root, root for the home team, and in the bottom of the first, the Jackals come roaring back, scoring four runs of their own to take the lead. Around the grandstand, the crowd loses themselves in the rhythms and simple pleasures of the game its languid pace punctuated by the crack of the bat and bursts of action. The bright expanse of green under a blue sky dotted by clouds, hot dogs and ice cream shared in a moment in the sun. By the end of the game, the teams would combine for 10 home runs and the Jackals would win the day. Because as the song also goes, if they don't win, it's a shame. I climb the wide steps and leave Hinchliffe with the sounds of the game and the crowd still echoing in my ears, and I am happy, relieved, and grateful that the real shame, losing this magnificent place, never did come to pass. The Secret Lies of Parks is a production of the National Parks Conservation Association. Episode 21, Opening Day, was produced by Todd Christopher with invaluable assistance from Timothy Leonard and Kristen Brangle. And our small but mighty team includes Jennifer Eric, Bev Stanton, and Vanessa Pius. More at thesecretlivesofparks.org. Original theme music by Chad Fisher. 
Your support helps make this podcast possible. If you're enjoying The Secret Lives of Parks, please consider liking, sharing, or... It's, it's remarkable. ...leaving a review. For more than a century, the National Parks Conservation Association has been protecting and enhancing America's national parks for present and future generations. With more than 1.6 million members and supporters, NPCA is the nation's only independent, nonpartisan advocacy organization dedicated to protecting national parks. Learn more and join us at npca.org. Maybe if we keep talking about Foo Fighters, maybe they'll perform a concert here. That would be wonderful. Dave Grohl, are you listening? <laughs>